Welcome to the All People's Church podcast. We believe in loving God, strengthening families, and developing leaders. We are so excited for you to hear this life-changing message recorded live at one of our worship experiences. Remember to share and subscribe to this podcast and enjoy the message. Um, Matthew chapter 15. We're going to read a lot, if that's all right with you. Is that all right? Uh, can we get the house lights on? Maybe, I don't know if somebody's upstairs, but just I'm um, having a hard time seeing you guys. I'm like blinded a little bit by uh, the stage lights. Oh, there you guys are. Hey. Yeah, so you're like, what? <laughs> All right, so Matthew chapter 15. We're going to be reading from verse 21 to verse 39. So it's a lot of verses. But um, we're going to make it through, and you'll see, hopefully by the end of it, um, why it's important for us to go through this entire section rather, just, rather than just um, the portion there at the beginning. So, are you ready to read? Yep. Good? We all awake? Yep. Yeah? All right. <laughs> well, here's what the Bible says. Matthew 15, starting at verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman came from that region and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before Jesus, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. And Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there and great crowds came to him bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute and many others and they put them at his feet and he healed them so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled, healthy, the lame walking and the blind seeing and they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we going to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed such a great crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit on the ground, he took seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowd. We've seen this before. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men beside women and children. Do we remember how many there were in another incident? 5,000, yeah. And here we have 4,000. After, verse 39, sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. All right, let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you so much for these moments that we can share in your presence and centered around your word and, of course, centered around you. Lord, we thank you that your word allows us to know you in a deeper way. And your word also reveals things within our hearts and within our minds. God, it exposes our flesh. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do that tonight, that you would expose parts of us that need to come to the light so that we can experience the transformation and the change you desire for us. I pray that you would give us the mind and the heart to lean in 
to what you have to say to us. Let us be attentive to your voice, sensitive to what you are saying and speaking. And Lord, allow us to put away um, any, any biases, any filters, any, anything that would uh, allow us to confuse your words and to twist your words. Let your words remain pure so that we can experience life from them tonight. For those in this room and those watching online or later, God, I pray that they would hear your voice plainly and clearly, that you would give them ears to hear and eyes to see. And we pray, God, that spring would begin feeling like spring here in Canada. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It is spring. It doesn't feel like it, but it is. <laughs> it is spring. All right. Well, you ever heard, um, you ever heard the term, um, if you can't beat them, join them? You heard that term? If you can't beat them, join them. Um, last, last week, we, we spent... Uh, a great deal of our time talking about uh, the heart, talking about the importance of the heart. There are um, just moments before this incident here where we, we learn about the faith of the Canaanite women, woman. Um, there's a dispute, a argument. There's uh, Pharisees who come to Jesus accusing him of not being the kind of rabbi who teaches his disciples the traditions of the Pharisees, of the elders of the Pharisees. And Jesus says, well, listen, the more important thing is that you actually worship God with your hearts. And so don't be the kinds of people that use traditions as a way to circumvent the commandments of God and the ways of God and the word of God, right? And so there's these moments that, there's this moment that Jesus is happening with these individuals and they accuse him of being the kind of rabbi that allows his disciples to get away with not following traditions. And in return, he says, well, you use traditions to not follow the commandments. And he quotes the prophecy out of Isaiah, which says that your heart is far from me. And so you worship me. You say the right things with your lips, but your worship is actually in vain. And so last week we spent... A, a, a lot of our time talking about the importance of the heart because the heart is something that you and I are able to hide from one another. Right? We can have a conversation and you and I, though we speak words to one another, have no idea what is being thought about and se uh, said and felt within each other's hearts. We don't have that ability. But God does. And so we cannot trick God by doing the right actions and yet having the wrong motives. Doing the right things and yet our heart is actually not totally there. And that was the problem that ancient Israel was happening with Jesus' quotes from the prophecy of Isaiah. <clears throat> and so... And so that was incredibly important for us to, to dive into, to talk about, because God sees the heart. And that is the primary place that God wants us to experience him. That is the place where God wants us to allow him to enter, because that is the place that if given access to God, we can actually experience transformation. We can actually experience transformation. So... When there's, when there's no transformation, it is an indication, it is a sign that we have not taken matters to heart. Amen? Now, with this, with this story, with this, with this scripture, I, I, I give that, that background regarding the importance of the heart um, and the idea of, you know, the concept of, hey, if you can't beat them, join them. Because I think right now what we're seeing in, in the world um, is this very confusing idea of uh, people claiming to be um, followers of Jesus, people claiming to be Christians, and yet um, 
just after a couple minutes of hearing words come out of their mouth, you begin to realize that they are not describing the Jesus of the Bible. And so it's, it's as if, it's as if the, the enemy is working um, against Christianity by joining it, only it's not the real thing. You hear what I'm saying? It is, it is twisted, it is misaligned, it is, um, it is uh, reading our own ideas and feelings and um, ideologies and the rhetoric we hear even in our culture. It's taking all of that and reading it into the text. It's taking all of that and reshaping Jesus to fit that. And so when there are moments and parts in the Bible that we do not like or they don't like, then what they do is they say, yeah, well, you know, that actually doesn't apply to us. That actually wasn't the words of Jesus. That was just put in there by the authors of the Bible. And, and you, you might be listening to me and saying, okay, what, what is he going on about? Um, but the reality is this is happening in our world. There are, there are churches, there are groups of people, there are quote-unquote um, pastors and theologians um, who have infiltrated Christianity and yet it is not the Christianity of the New Testament. It is not the Jesus of the New Testament. And so if you have not encountered this yet, you are going to encounter it sooner or later. It is becoming more and more of a um, prevalent thing in our culture to take Jesus and, and form him and force him into the mold of our tiny understanding with our own feelings and our own desires, that is becoming more and more of a common thing. In fact, there are churches even within our city that refuse to put actual biblical uh, concepts on their statement of faith in, um, on their websites. Um, you, go to, you go to their church, they, they, they are not praying to, um, to our Heavenly Father. They're, they're praying to the Divine One. And so it is becoming ambiguous, it is becoming vague, all because we do not want to offend people, certain lifestyles and certain ideologies, even though they are not biblical ideologies. There are churches within our city that refuse to preach portions of the Bible because they don't think it applies anymore. Because as humanity, we have out-progressed the Word of God. We have, we have advanced beyond it. And so now what they do is rather than coming to the Word of God and seeing it as the supreme authority that it is, rather than coming to Jesus and seeing Him as God, what you are going to begin to see are people who are going to call themselves quote-unquote Christians who will emphasize the humanity of Jesus to the point where they will say things like, well, Jesus makes mistakes. Jesus sins and he repents. Jesus grows as a human being because Jesus was human. And so... It's, it's very fascinating to me that this is happening. And so even with the text that we have just read, the faith of the Canaanite woman, there's this teaching circulating right now from liberal quote-unquote theologians. You know, they, that's what they call themselves, and they, they call themselves pastors, and 
and reverence, and I don't know, I don't know what churches these guys are at, and I don't know how you can attend a church like that and not lose your mind or run out of there as soon as you begin to hear this kind of teaching. Uh, but there is a teaching now circulating um, regarding this text that is beginning to rather than see the faith of the woman that Jesus clearly celebrates. They use this text and they say, oh, look at Jesus um, and his racist ideologies. Coming against this woman because she's not a Jew. Saying the words, well, why would we take bread from the children and give it to the dog? And using this text to say, oh, well, look how Jesus changed his mind because this woman spoke truth to power. Um, Jesus, by the end of the story, they say, has repented of his sin of racism. And that's why he changes his, his mind. And so, you know, you, you hear something like that and it's complete nonsense. And, um, you know, I could use other words, but I'll refrain from doing that. But I was looking at this text and I was like, man, you know, it's unfortunate that I have to spend time defending what is actually happening in the text, what this text is actually about. And so I do wanna, I do wanna take some time to rebuttal some of this nonsense that's out there, which by the way, you're going to hear more of, okay? So you're going to hear more of this nonsense about them reading into the text, their own ideologies and their own liberal ways, and they're gonna, they're gonna read that into the text. They're gonna, they're gonna make Jesus fit that mold. Now, you know what's so fascinating is the same movement when you quote the Bible to them, say things like, this is, this is ancient. This was 2,000 years ago. And so we cannot take things that were relevant 2,000 years ago and apply them to today. But, but then how come they're allowed to take things that are relevant today and apply it to a text 2,000 years old? That, does, that seems backwards. You know what I'm saying? And so they're allowed to... See, see you're going to find this in the world. They, they're going to present you with certain ideas um, that, and principles that they're actually not going to follow themselves. And so their logic is incredibly flawed. Incredibly flawed. Right? So, so we, can't, we can't quote a 2,000-year-old text to them but they can take their own ideologies and say, oh yeah, that's what Jesus was doing there. And yet this is, this is 2,000 years ago, right? And so let me just say this. As racially, um, you know, hot our, our culture is right now and triggered, it was not back then. The, the culture and the climate that we're living in, we're where there, it's, it's a culture and a climate of, 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 of being canceled. It is, everything is hate speech. You know what I mean? So if you say something, even if it's true, but my feelings are hurt, it's hate speech. Okay? This is a different world, ladies and gentlemen. This is not the super sensitive Canadian world of, you know, our prime minister. This is not that world. And so... When people speak and talk in that day and age, they speak as things are. Hello? And so there's, there's no hiding behind the truth. There's, and so part of what I'm going to do tonight is, is kind of hopefully as we walk through the text, we'll be able to rebuttal some of this nonsense so that you're better equipped to handle conversations like this. Um, and let me just say this as a, as, a, as a biblical principle of rightly dividing the word. It, it cannot mean today what it could not have meant then. Okay? 
So when we read the Bible, it cannot mean something different to us that it would not have met, meant to the original audience of that day. And so remember, Matthew is writing to a group of people. He's actually writing to Jewish Christians. And so there are things that he has in mind as he's writing his biography of Jesus, which is what it is. Hello? And so we, if, it, if it didn't mean, if it didn't mean it then, it, can, it cannot mean it now. Does that make sense? Yep. Just a healthy way to help you understand biblical interpretation, right? And so oftentimes you'll see people stretch the Bible to mean something in an effort to try to make it relevant or more applicable today. But the reality is, the reality is we, we, can, we have some liberty to do that in terms of application, but we don't have liberty to do that in terms of interpretation. Does that make sense? This is a Bible study. All right, in case uh, you thought this was something else, this is a Bible study. That's what we're doing tonight. Okay, so let me go through the text, and then hopefully, hopefully you can see a couple of things. Here's what you need to see, okay? Before I even get into the text, let me just, can I tell you what to look for? This is not a racial issue. It is a covenantal issue. It is not an issue of, of ethnicities. It is an issue of covenant. And what we're going to see is Jesus show this woman, and by the way, his disciples, and through the writings of Matthew, the original audience of this book. What they are showing is there is a covenant God has made with no other nation or people group on earth but Israel, the Jewish people, right? Now, you can go ahead and label God whatever you want because of that, but because he's God, he gets to do whatever he wants, and he gets to choose whoever he wants. That's part of the liberty you, you have when you're God. Am I making sense tonight? Yep. Are we doing okay? Yep. So that's the point. The point is I want you to see it's not an issue of ethnicity. It's not, it's, it's, it's not an issue of Jew, Jesus being a man speaking to a woman. I'm listening to this guy and he's talking about, oh, you know, um, this, is, this is a colored woman and, and Jesus is being raped. And it's like, you know Jesus wasn't white, right? Like, <laughs> Jesus is a Middle Eastern Jewish man, a person of color. And so, and so you're going to see these, these people who, who take these liberal ideas and, and, and try now, because guess what? Because they cannot, they cannot defeat Christianity, right? That's what Jesus said. All these things are going to come against the church, but, but they're not going to prevail. My church will remain standing. And so what they're going to now do, and we see this, and I don't have time to go into the amounts of texts. What they're going to do is they're going to infiltrate and, and try to destroy it from the inside out. And so they're going to read into it, manipulate it, show try to show how God was this and Jesus was that and, and hopefully we can see and deal with that sort of nonsense. But at the same time, I don't want to spend too much energy and time doing that because there's something incredibly beautiful in this text that I want us to see. Does that make sense? Yep. All right. So we start off right off the gate. It says, and Jesus went away from there and what? Withdrew. Jesus went away and withdrew. Now remember, Jesus is having a dispute with Pharisees, right? Regarding silly things like washing your hands before you eat, right? That's what they're concerned about. And Jesus goes, no, no, no. What God is concerned about is whether or not their heart has been transformed. If their heart is still unclean, then who cares if their hands are unclean, right? And so 
I can imagine the energy that this takes out of Jesus. And he goes, you know what? I'm getting away from these guys. These guys, have, these guys don't know what they're talking about. Now, I want you to see who he's dealing with. He's dealing with who? Pharisees. These are the elite. These are those who ought to know God. They ought to know the right thing. They ought to know scripture. They ought to know the Messiah when he showed up. Okay, that's important for us to keep in our mind as we progress in the text. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman from that region, that region. So what's the region? The region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, this is a region, just any guess. Do you think it's Jewish or Gentile? Gentile. Gentile. This is a Gentile region, right? Um, now, if you go into the Old Testament, you will see the Sidon and Tyre are, are mentioned many of times. Um, uh, Sidon, uh, if anyone can, if maybe one, uh, anyone knows this, um, Jezebel was from there. Uh, when um, God uses Elijah to feed the widow with, with oil and flour. That happens in the same region of Sidon. So, so Sidon and Tyre are even used um, to get material for the building of the temple um, in the Old Testament. So they're, they're connected closely to the Israelites and the Jewish people, but we never see them cross the line of faith. They're, they're always involved somehow. But, but they never come across the line of faith. They never, uh, uh, you know, leave their idols to turn to the God of Israel. Okay, this is important to keep in mind. So a woman, a Canaanite. Now, have we, what, have we seen Canaanites before? Yes, right? So Canaanite, um, a friend in the Old Testament of the Israelites or an enemy? Friend or enemy to Israel? Enemy, right? And so this is the land that God has promised to the Israelites. Now, isn't it interesting that you have a, uh, a former, you know, uh, pagan and historical enemy of Israel who is now going to come to the Messiah of Israel to seek a blessing? Fascinating. And so behold, a Canaanite woman came from that region. Now, again, Canaanite, Gentile, not Jew. In fact, pagan. So if you study Canaanite culture, you'll see there's many different, many different gods. In fact, these individuals also did child sacrifices. So we're talking about a violent, aggressive, messed up culture. Okay? That's what she's coming out of. That's what she is familiar with. Idols, plethora of gods that she can worship. Child sacrifices to try to attain uh, um, right relationship with all the idols and all the different gods and, and, and to keep themselves youthful and, and young. And so this is the region that she comes out of. And what is she doing? She is crying, have mercy on me. O Lord, son of David. Now, this is very interesting because this is a Canaanite woman, a pagan woman. And yet, what she has just uttered is not something you would assume a Gentile to be familiar with. And that is the messianic title. Son of David. This is something you would assume what? The Jews to know. And so this is a Gentile woman Canaanite woman, she comes to Jesus, oh Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. And she's pleading not for herself, but for her daughter. Now what's going on with her daughter? She is oppressed by a demon. Now, this is, this is fascinating to me, and, and hopefully by the end of it, it's going, to make, it's going to make sense as to why I think Matthew is including it in his biography of Jesus as he writes to a Jewish Christian audience. She cries out, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. And what is the response? But, someone say but. 
he, being Jesus, did not answer her a word. So Jesus is completely silent. Now, let me remind you that this is a Canaanite woman who worships idols, does not worship the true and living God of Israel. Okay? But she is coming to the Jewish Messiah to seek a blessing from a God she does not worship. I need you to catch that. Just because she shows up to Jesus asking him to do a miracle for her daughter doesn't mean that she worships Jesus. This is why Matthew is giving us such details about the region of the place and that she's a Canaanite woman. And so right off the bat, the original audience is thinking idols. False worship, false gods, child sacrifices, right? This was a happening region. And so a lot of, uh, a lot of spices that would come even from, from further east would come to this region and would be distributed because of the, the roads the Romans had, had then built. And so this is a wealthy region and it's a religious re uh, region. And so as the original audience, that's what's going on in your head. That's what you're thinking. Now, isn't it fascinating that she wants to be blessed by a God that she does not worship? See, that, 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 that's insightful for us because it allows us to look at our hearts and to ask the question, where are we refusing to give God what he wants and yet we demand that God gives us what we want. Hello? And so our hearts, are very, our hearts are very interesting. And maybe you've noticed this about yourself. Where you know there are things that God is asking you to do. God is commanding you to do. And, and you have not given in to those things. You haven't submitted to his will in those things. And yet at the same time, you have expectations. You have expectations that God is going to come through, that God is going to remain true, even if I'm not. Come on, I'm not talking to anyone real tonight. And so we have the audacity to refuse to give God what he wants and what he deserves, and yet we demand that he gives us what we want. Have you ever been upset with God for not answering a prayer? Right now, now you might not say it, right? But but you you start talking to him less. The way you talk to him begins to change, right? And and and, and so and so this this happens, and, and secretly you're like you're upset with God, and it's it's like yeah okay, but what about what about the things that that God is asking you to do? Well, they, we're not talking about that right now. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, parents, you would, you would understand this the best where it's like you, you ask your child to do something and then they want you to do something, but you refuse to do it and they're upset at you. And then you go, you go, wait, hold on. How did this flip? How did this flip on me? You know, you know what I'm talking about? And so, and so here we have an individual who, who wants to be blessed even though she doesn't worship God. And, and, and church, that is a very real temptation. It is a very real thing that our flesh and our heart struggle with. There are, there are moments where we must catch ourselves. We must catch our flesh because we want God to answer all the things that we demand of him. But in return, we are not living fully submitted to him. And so we want the promotion, we want the spouse, we want the marriage, we want the health and the wealth and the prosperity, and, and yet we are living like the Pharisees who confess with our mouths, but our hearts are far from him. 
And so you're seeing this happen here again. And so what happens next? Jesus' disciples, you gotta love how real the Bible keeps it. You gotta love how real the Bible keeps it. His, his disciples came and begged him, send her away. She's crying out after us. So they make it about themselves. And of course, that's a very you know, common thing for the disciples to do. But, but you can see this. She's crying out, help me. My daughter needs healing. I think I know who you are. She's crying. And they're getting annoyed. They're like, Jesus, can you? Send her away. Because this is getting a little crazy. Now, you get the picture, right? You see what's happening. Now, he, being Jesus, answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of what? The house of Israel. So Jesus looks at her, looks at his disciples. She's a Canaanite woman. She belongs to the region that is... Uh, that is a Gentile region. They worship false gods, child sacrifices, all this stuff. And yet she's trying to get a blessing from a God that she actually doesn't know or actually doesn't worship. Jesus is quiet. The disciples say, send her away. She's getting annoying. And he says, I was sent only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So what does this mean? Does this mean that Jesus doesn't care about the Gentiles? Does this mean that the gospel is not for the Gentiles? That the work of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus is not for the Gentiles? That it's only for Israel? Is that what this means? No, that's not what this means. So how do you properly understand it? You properly understand it by going into some of the Old Testament, which talks about Israel being sheep to God. You go into um, Hosea chapter, chapter 11 where, where uh, a God calls Israel his, his son that is lost. You can go into um, Isaiah 53, I believe, where Jesus, um, where it's talking about the, the, the death and the sacrifice of the Messiah. And there it is mentioned that all of Israel is like sheep that have gone astray. And so God is like a shepherd, Israel like a sheep that is lost and has gone astray. They've, they've gone from their first and true love. If you go into even the New Testament, you will see that Paul talks about the fact that there is an order that the gospel and salvation came first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, right? Not just the Jew, not to the Gentile. That's not what it says. It says first to the Jew and then the Gentile. Now, why is that? Is that because Jesus is racist? No, church. It's because God has made a covenant with Israel. And so if he does not fulfill that covenant, he is unfaithful. But God is not unfaithful. He is a covenant-keeping God. For generations, the Bible says. And so God is going to keep his covenant. And so there's an order. Are we doing okay? So there's a covenant, there's a covenant, there's a covenant. And so God has a covenant with Israel. Now, this goes all the way back to who? Abraham. And so God has had a covenant with the people of Israel, the Jewish people, for a very, very long time. And so God is going to keep that covenant with Israel. Now, what happens next? But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take. Someone say take. The children's bread. So remember, I talked about Hosea 11, right? Hosea 11 says, out of Egypt, I called my son. What is that in reference to? The Exodus. Who is, who is the son? Israel, right? 
Now this is, this is very fascinating because she's talking about her daughter. Jesus is talking about his son. Right? It's like she wants transformation for her daughter. And Jesus is saying, yeah, God wants transformation for his son, Israel, because Israel is lost. And so it's not right to take the children's bread. And so we know that that is Israel, that is the Jews, and throw it to the what? The dogs. Now, the literal translation of this word dog is little dog. Little dog, or you could even translate it to house dog, domesticated dog. Okay, that's the literal translation. Now, this word, this language, so this is, this, is, this, is the, this is the phrase they use. They go, oh, look at Jesus, called her a dog. Now, what does this mean? Now, remember I said this was 2,000 years ago, right? This is not the same culture that we currently live in. And so what, what, is, what is a dog? So Jews commonly referred to Gentiles, those outside of the covenant, as dogs. Because you're not part of the covenant people of God. God has not chosen you. So remember, even in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Jesus says, don't throw what is holy before dogs. You remember that? So, so don't throw what is, what is holy, what belongs to the covenant people, and throw it to people who have no understanding of what it means to have a relationship with God. Are you okay with that? And so she says, Lord, help me. He answers, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, remember I said to, to focus on this word, take. Someone say take. Now, this is, this is the word picture Matthew is painting. Suppose we are having dinner at a table. And my family is at the table. Children are sitting here. The house dog is, you know, barking and yapping. Give me some food. Smells the bread. The word picture is this, that I have taken and placed bread on my children's plate, on my child's plate. To say, okay, little Johnny, this is for you. Right? Little Susie, this is for you. I don't know why it's always... Johnny and Susie, but that's the first thing that came to my mind. So there it is. The word picture is, is, is this. Then the, the house dog comes and he's yapping. And I would take little Johnny's bread from him off his plate and give it to the dog. That's the word picture. Now, does that make sense? No. Because that's the child's bread. So you don't give, you don't take from the child what is theirs and give it to the dog. You make sure your child is fed first. Hello? So, so it's, what is, he, what is he saying? He's saying the dog is not of immediate importance. The child is, because I have covenant with my child. And so it's a metaphor that Jesus is painting to say this. I am going to first look after those I have a covenant with. And then, and then after that, I will get to those who are not the covenant people of God. Does that make sense? Now, you go, that seems a little harsh. And yet, God can do whatever he wants. See, that is at the center of the, of, of the problem, of the heart of the issue. That's, that's at the center of it. When, when people 
want the blessings of Jesus without actually worshiping Jesus. They, they want to experience him as savior, have him die for their sins, but not submit and surrender to him as Lord. What, what's at the heart of the issue of all these people who are, who are coming alongside and saying, yeah, well, we want a piece of Jesus and we want to define Jesus the way we want to define him, not according to the word of God, but according to our own feelings and according to our own ideologies. What lies at the center of the issue is that they have a problem with God being God. That's the issue. That it is God who is completely sovereign and we are his creation. What does the prophet of the old say? Shall, shall clay speak to the potter? We're the clay. He's the potter. And we forget that. We forget it. And that's what happens. That's why you have people looking at the word of God, not correctly, correctly interpreting the word of God, forcing their own ideologies and their own feelings and their own desires. See, if, if Jesus has not transformed your worldview, you have not encountered him. And so you cannot impose your own worldview on Jesus and say, I'm a follower of Jesus. No, you're not. You're a manipulator. You're not a follower of Jesus. When we come to Jesus, it is his worldview that is the supreme worldview, and we submit under that. Hence, following Jesus requires us following Jesus and him leading. Does that make sense? Are we doing okay? And so these are those who are outside the covenant. Now, she says, yes, Lord. This is the third time that she addresses Jesus as Lord. The third time Jesus is addressed as Lord. Now, does anyone have a translation that says, but Lord? Verse 27, she says, yes, Lord, yet even. Now, you might have a translation that says, yes, Lord, but even. Anyone have that translation? Where instead of yet, it says, but. No? Okay, good. So that, so some, some translations have taken this word that actually only has two meanings, and the meanings are the word yet or the, or the word for, F-O-R. It does not mean but. But there are certain translations that impose the word but in there, even though the Greek doesn't actually use the word but. Now, why is that an important distinction? It's an important distinction because if you, if you in, interject the word but there, what it, what you, and you read the sentence, yes, Lord, but even, but, she is coming, she is counter-arguing to what Jesus is saying. But that's not what's happening. This is the third time she's calling him Lord. So what is she doing? She's submitting to what he just said. Now, if this was as racially charged as an issue as some liberals have made it out to be, might I suggest that the woman might not have stayed there calling Jesus Lord and completely agreeing with what he just said? Hello? But she says, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs. So she takes what Jesus says, completely submits to it, agrees to it, and says, yeah, you're, you're completely right. I'm outside the covenant of, of Israel. I'm not part of the chosen people. I agree. And yet... 
Dogs can even catch crumbs from, notice, the master's table. Now I want you to see why Jesus responds and says, oh woman, that's actually in the Greek, oh woman, great is your faith. Why has she just done that? Because when she, when she says this, that yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table, what she has just said is she's, she's totally flipped what she is choosing to focus on, okay? And, and we're almost done, so are we doing okay? You're like, didn't we read to verse 39? Yes, we did, and we're gonna get to it. Here's what she's basically just said. She has decided in, in humility and yet with, with faith she has emphasized the, the abundance of goodness at the master's table. That there is an abundance of goodness at the master's table. Now, when she, how do you, how, you say, Pastor Moses, how do you get to that conclusion? So when she says crumbs, I want you to notice that if the dog is eating crumbs, it's not tiny little crumbs. You know what I mean? Like you, you have some toast and there's like little pieces of the crust that fall off. You, you know what I'm talking about? Hello? Nobody eats toast and everybody's gluten-free. All right. Uh, not little crumbs. These are crumbs that are big enough to satisfy. So what is she focused on? She says, she's, she begins to focus on the abundance that is available at God's table. Now, who sits according to what Jesus has just said? Who has the right to sit at the table? The Jews. Now you have to ask the question, how are things falling off the table? Okay, now we're gonna get into the context. Context, incredibly important. Every text has a context. You go, you go beyond this, this story, and what do you see? Constant rejection from those who sit at the table. Refusing to see Jesus for who he is. Pharisees, the elite, the religious elite, that should know when the prophesied Messiah has showed up. Do not recognize him. Refuse to eat from the table. And so it's as if she is saying, what they waste, I will indulge in. You see that? What they waste... I will be satisfied in. And so what you see in the context of the story is this constant rejection, constant rejection for those who are sitting at the table, those who are the chosen ones, those who are of the lost sheep of the house of Israel, those who are the Jews, those who God has covenanted with. And yet what we see in this moment is someone who is a Gentile who comes from worshiping false gods and she is able to see Jesus for who he is. And so what is this really but a slap to those who ought to know God but failed to recognize him when he showed up? For he came to his own and his own did not receive him. You see that? Now, if you go a story, if you go a story, if you go a story, um, a page over, we have this moment where Jesus walks on water. Remember the story? And there's a disciple who calls out to Jesus and says, is that you? And that disciple is Peter. And Peter comes out because Jesus has come and he begins to walk on the water. And in verse 
31 of chapter 14. Verse 31 of chapter 14. Peter is walking toward Jesus on water and he begins to lose his faith. He gets distracted by the winds and the waves and he begins to sink. Remember that? 14, 31, okay? Now, what, is, what does Jesus say here to this woman? Oh woman, great is your faith. What does he say to Peter as he begins to sink? Oh you of little faith. Do you, you see the parallel? This is why context is incredibly important. Matthew is painting a picture that those who ought to recognize God, those who are qualified to sit at the table, fail to see Jesus for who he is. And so what does Jesus do? He lets those who are not even at the table receive. See how powerful that is? See how there's so much more to this story. And so let's, let's run now because we've got to get to verse 39, okay? Yeah? All right? Okay. As great as your faith, be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. So her daughter is healed instantly and she's able to celebrate and rejoice in what God wants to do. Now, there are two portions that, that follow this story and this narrative because you have to ask the question, okay, what is, what is Matthew doing and what is he trying to communicate to his audience? So let's, let's pick up the next couple of verses. Verse 29 says what? Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. So he leaves the region of Tyre and Sidon and goes back to the Sea of Galilee. Now, if you read, um, I think it's Mark 7. I think I have it in my notes here somewhere. Mark 7, 31. Same story, but Mark includes the fact that Jesus goes to Decapolis, which is a 10-city region of Greek cities. So again, a non-Jewish area. You with me? Jesus leaves a non-Jewish area and goes to another non-Jewish area. You see that? Now let's read. And he went on the mountain and sat down. What does it say? Great crowds came to him. Okay? And bringing with them, what? The lame, the blind, crippled, mute, many others, they put them at his feet and he healed them. He healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, and the lame walking, and the blind saying, and, and I want you to read this last sentence, and they glorified the, the God of Israel. This is incredibly important. Matthew is writing to Jewish Christians. Why put the God of Israel? Unless the whole point was, if Israel fails to reject, if, if, if Israel fails to see God for who he is, then those who do not even know him have no seat at the table. Those the Jews would call dogs will receive from him and glorify him. You see that? You see that? And so, and so you understand what Jesus is doing. You understand what Matthew is doing as he's writing. Now, here's what happens next. And then Jesus calls his disciples to him and says, I have compassion. Someone say compassion. On the crowd, because they, would, would, they have been with me three days. Now, this is a similar story to what happens with the feeding of the 5,000, except there's more loaves, more fish here, and there's less people. Right? Figure that one out. But Jesus feeds them. Now, what is the point of this entire story? These entire 18 verses that we just went through. What is the point? The point is, in verse 21, sorry, in verse 22, it says this, And behold, a Canaanite woman came from that region, crying out, Have mercy on me, O son of David. Have mercy on me on me have mercy 
on me. Have mercy on me. So, so what is mercy? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Mercy is when someone chooses to have compassion. It is the exact same word, compassion and mercy. And so what is the whole point of this story? The whole point of the story is Jesus giving mercy to those who are desperate enough to come after him. That's the point. She is desperate enough to break through the silence presented by Jesus. Persistent. The crowds are desperate enough to go after Jesus on the mountain that he has withdrawn to. And so what is the story about? The story is about receiving mercy from God. That's what the story is about. Mercy. Mercy. She came asking, Lord, have mercy on me. So Jesus sees, and, and the same thing happens here when he sees the crowd that is hungry that's been with him for three days. Now, let me read to you a couple of scriptures and then we are done. Now, we've been done for a while, but let me just read a couple of more scriptures. Romans 15, 8 to 9. I think we have this. It says this, for, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Who are the patriarchs? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his, ah, for his mercy. Another text I want to read to you, Romans 9, 14, 14 to 16 says this. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but it depends on God who has mercy. And so how is this story able to finish with them glorifying the God of Israel? Because he did not have to do any of it. It was simply mercy. It was simply mercy. That is the point. The point is that every day we wake up and God chooses to not give us what we actually deserve. That's the point. That he gives us mercy instead. And you say, why? Why does God give us mercy? Simply because he chooses to. That's what he said to Moses. I will give mercy to whom I give mercy. I... I will give compassion to whom I give compassion. Why does God choose to do the things he does? He's God. And that's why being chosen is such a privilege, church. It is such a privilege. It's not something we deserve. It's a privilege that God in his mercy would choose us. That he would call us into adoption as sons and daughters simply on the basis of our faith. That even though we were not part of the Jewish covenant, 
the blood that he shed on the cross bought for us our adoption. And it is an act of his mercy. An act of his mercy. That is the point. So yes, the point of the story is about this Canaanite woman who had great faith, but so much more than that. It is about the mercy of God. That those who do not have a, have a seat at the table would be invited to dine with him. And that's why you and I are here. Because we have been invited to dine with him. And by faith, the Bible says that we get drafted into the family and the covenant of Abraham by faith because of the mercy of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for these moments that we could share in your presence. And Lord, we are overwhelmed by your mercy. Thank you for your mercy. That every day we wake up, you choose, Lord, to not give us what we truly deserve. And instead, you call us sons and you call us daughters. We thank you that you have purchased that for us. And we do not take it lightly. Allow us to bask in this reality, to be overwhelmed with joy and worship and adoration because of who you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.